So In Times of Old is the opening for this movie. And it's a little strange because it makes me feel nostalgic for a time when Pixar movies were, I'm not gonna say good, but let's just say they were, well, let's just say that whenever a Pixar movie was coming out, it was usually an event. You know, like you knew that that, whatever that Pixar movie was, you didn't even know what the premise was, you didn't know anything. You just knew, okay, it's a Pixar movie, it's coming out, everyone's gonna go watch it, it's probably gonna be fucking amazing, and it's most definitely gonna win animated feature at the Oscars. And without actually saying anything yet, I'm not gonna say that that's not the case anymore, but it kind of feels like it. So with that being said, that's my intro for the night. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm Dom, the movie nerd, and we're back on another episode of Talking TV once yeah, again yeah. with my faithful co-host, Chris, the TV nerd of Anko. What's going on, what's going guys? On? As always, it is a pleasure to be here. And a little bit of a change of scenery this time. Uh, we're recording in a different studio this time. Uh, I, I don't know. Not if that, that they, they would even know. Yeah, definitely. But I, I just like to point it out because yeah, you know, no, you know sure. I'm that kind of a guy. I like to no, there, there shouldn't be any walls between us. And the I'd audience. like to keep the audience as inclusive as possible. It's one of the right. reasons why I consider Double Toasted to be like the the the, the go-to source for inspiration for this kind of thing. Because, oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, because and what makes that show so successful is the fact that their their audience is such a part of the show process to the point where it like the, the, the show it, it's such a fundamental part of the component of the show that like it wouldn't work without it right and i think in the spirit of double toasted we're kind of doing something you know that i've seen them do many times because i'm i'm still a little bit newer to the whole double toasted cult let's call it the toasties right that's definitely and, a cult like you got that section right. <laughs> yeah and so like you know i'm I've, I've been with them for about three months now but there's still people that they have on the show that i just don't know and i'm like oh cool another interesting perspective because i know if they're hanging out with Corey and martin they got some good shit to say and i hope that you guys feel the same way about us because today Hell for the yeah. first time we have a very special guest dom i'm gonna let you introduce him but before we do that i just want to say that this is actually the first guest we haven't met in person this is someone like us who's who's passionate who's grinding who's informed articulate and knows what the hell he's talking about and we are so excited to dissect this newest pixar film with them today dom who are we speaking with on the show today yeah so live from melbourne florida calling in it is the one the only colin williams of colin williams reviews on youtube colin what's up buddy what is going on guys thank you so much for having me on the podcast to talk onward i'm really excited Dude, our pleasure, man. We're Seriously. excited to have you here. And thank you for bra- braving braving with us, you know, dealing with technical ins and outs and everything. But that's just part of the process. And uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun tonight to have a good conversation about some content. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think that it would be remiss of us to not allow Colin to sort of take this one by the reins and, and start off. So, yeah, definitely. Colin, why don't you just like, what did you think about the film, bro? Like, what was, your, what was your take on it? Okay. So it's really great you guys asked because I just posted a video on YouTube doing my tier list ranking. For uh, the Pixar films, I actually had Onward, I believe, at 11 or 12. So I did enjoy the overall experience. Uh, I mean, there's 22 films in the franchise. So, you know, coming in at the, like almost at the top 10, fringe top 10 there. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it. It's definitely not Pixar's best, but some really good moments. I think, you know, an excellent cast with Chris Pratt and uh, Tom Holland leading the way i think there are some conveniences in the third act i think we'll get into that as we get in later to the film but overall a fun uh exciting entry into the the pixar universe and i enjoyed it 
And so with that being said, like, what is your relationship with children's films? Because for me personally, I enjoy them. I appreciate the artistic approach. I'm not crazy about them, although I, I really do pride myself on going into everything with like an open mind and a clean slate. So for me, like this film doesn't get me as excited as like, let's say like, you know, like maybe a James Bond film that's coming on the horizon or something like that. You know, it's not not necessarily my wheelhouse. So where do you stand with all that? Okay, so I kind of uh, tend to uh, side with Dom on that one as far as the, the uh, especially with Pixar's work, I think, to me at least, I actually would argue Pixar is actually, more, it's, a, it's a franchise that can be enjoyed and watched and cherished by children, but deep down it's actually for adults. I mean, if you look at a lot of like, the films, like Finding Nemo, that's from a parent's perspective. Inside Out is kind of just hits all the right notes for something that is going to just completely gloss over children's heads. But then a parent seeing that is just really going to enjoy it. And then as I've gotten older, I think I've liked the movies even more, if I'm being honest with you. So as far as my background with quote unquote children's uh, uh, films, um, I've always been open-minded to them. I've obviously watched them as a kid and I'm at the point now where, one, because I have a YouTube channel where I review movies, two, I love movies, and then three, I see everything. I just end up watching pretty much, I mean, I'm not going to see like the new Trolls, for example, or anything like that, whatever stupid movie they're coming out or anything like that. But if Pixar is coming out with something, if DreamWorks is coming out with something, I'll, you know, I'll see any, I don't care if they make 19 Frozen movies, I'll watch it and have an open mind. Okay, so with that being said, then you sort you sort of seem like pretty well rounded in this in this wheelhouse in this area of film. So why don't you uh, why don't you tell us like how how did this movie sort of compare to like some of those films you just brought up like Inside Out or like you know Monsters Inc and whatnot like because you said it ranked eleven so that's obviously in the middle. W- what about it was a middle level film for you in regards to like all that Pixar has done? Well, there could as far as it being middle and and just and being higher than some of the films that were just lower. Could be some recency bias. You know, you see a lot, a lot of these movies, they've been out. I mean, the first film came out in 1995 with Toy Story. And so there's been a lot of movies. I've seen them a lot. And again, I, I think that could be some recency bias. I mean, films like The Incredibles 2 and Finding Dory are recent Pixar films that I like attest then. I was like, oh my God, this is like one of the best Pixar has to offer. And then as you see, I got like, I had like Finding Dory, I ranked like 16. You know, I had Incredibles 2 ranked a little lower, even though I think it was higher than Onward originally. But I guess the reason for it being at this place, like there, I think it's one, the recency bias. And then just the films above it are just, I think, world class in uh, not just filmmaking, but animated films in general. I mean, I think that's what you can kind of credit Pixar to a lot is because I think they focus on making good movies first and not just good animated movies. I think you see what like a lot of these movies that come out, these animated cash grabs from other studios. I'm not going to name any names because certainly they do good work as well. But sometimes they, you know, do like the lowest common denominator, just going for the the kids jokes and stuff like that. But I think what Pixar has done so well is they've made good movies first, and then and fo- and then focus on the animated parts. 
to that, and I think Onward is a product of that formula. Colin, I actually wanted to speak to something that you just brought up that, that's very interesting. So you mentioned Finding Dory and Incredibles 2 as kind of having that elated feeling when you came out of the movie, just being like, yeah, this movie was awesome, and then like a couple, like a year to however many years later, you know, it's been four years since Finding Dory, it's been two years since Incredibles 2, and and you, you it, let's just say, again, not speaking to the overall quality of those movies, but those movies may not have had the exact same effect on you that they did in the moment, whereas some of the older Pixar movies I would say there's a reason why those movies stick with you overall as time goes on. You know, like there's a reason why we still consider like the original three Toy Stories, Finding Nemo, Incredibles, even something is still as recent as Inside Out, which is only five years. Why it seems that those movies have such a greater impact on us now than some of the more recent Pixar movies. And I'm just wondering if... Again, they, they they brought up it's a been a thing that's been brought up a lot is that people have a, a problem with Pixar doing so many resorting to so many sequels, but I've also found that to be a problem with some of their other non sequel movies, some of their more recent original properties, such as Brave and even with Coco, which is a movie that a lot of people like. So I was just wondering if kind of you a had good any dinosaur insight too, into uh, that. Uh, yeah, good dinosaur, absolutely, definitely. So I was just wondering if you kind of had any insight into that with some of the more recent films as opposed to their older films. I mean, yeah, you got a good point by saying that uh, the people critiquing some of the recent Pixar films, with one of them being sequels, and maybe those not living up to the original so they can be lower on people's lists or just not as memorable, stuff like that. So I think, I mean, it just it kind of just depends on the situation, too. Like, okay, for example, I, I believe A Good Dinosaur came out in 2016 and uh, Inside that, Out came out. It was 2015, actually, the same year that Inside Out came out. Inside Out okay, was so, June and uh, Good Dinosaur was November. Okay, so perfect example then. I'm really glad that you fact-checked me there because that's makes oh, he's it good even at better. That, bro. So, yeah, that makes it even better. <laughs> yeah, because it makes it be even better, my argument even better, because, okay, those came out the same year. Okay, so let's just say they're not classics because they only came out five years ago. But how how do we review regard Inside Out as compared to Good the Good Dinosaur, which are both original works? Like Inside Out is an original property, the Good Dinosaur is an original property, and they're not they they weren't a sequel or anything like that. And one is already viewed as a classic, and one is kind of just a kind of viewed as a forgivable but fun uh addition to the franchise by forgivable do you mean like a forgettable but fun entry to the franchise i meant forgettable yeah okay. i don't know why i said forgivable <laughs> got you no that, that 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 all that all makes sense and i can see that uh, but so i mean do you do you think then that you know sort of putting those i mean because i feel like you do did like a top you did like a ranking of all of those films in order so like even with you knowing this though like d- d- it must have still been difficult to sort of like rank something because for me personally i remember where i was when I was, who I was with, when I went and saw Monsters, Inc. in theaters. I remember the exact thing I got. I got a medium Coke with a small popcorn. I remember waiting online with three of my friends back in the Bronx where I used to live. Like, I remember everything about that night, and I think it was because that movie was so impactful to me at that time. So if I had to go and rank it, even if, let's just say, Inside Out, I do think is better, or or maybe, you know, Up, or, or something like that, maybe one of the more recent films, even maybe Onward, right? I mean, that's what the podcast is about. Even if I do mm-hmm. think it's better, it's, it's gonna be hard for me to be objective. And I think that's, like, where for you and Dom, I mean, like, it's got to be a hard line to walk for, for being so invested in children's films, especially because I don't know how old exactly you are, but me and Dom, we're, we're in our 20s, and so, like, for us, we grew up with pretty much a lot of these films, especially the earlier ones, you know? So it's difficult. And that's why I'm actually really excited for, in a few moments, when we jump into Onward, to sort of, like, bring our adult minds to this film, you know? But also... 
you know, like, do, do you struggle with that when you're like talking about like the, the, the older Pixar films, like the nostalgia? I mean, you said you were a little unbiased, but you know what I'm saying, right? No, yeah, I completely get what you're saying. I think you're going to definitely view things differently from when you're an adult to uh, watching them or rewatching them or watching them for the first time. Because, like, I, there's we can't go to the past. I'll never be able to watch Onward as a six year old like I was when I watched Toy Story, right? So my perspective is always going to be different. One, because I'm older. And then two, because I'm also looking at it from an analytical perspective because I review movies on YouTube for for entertainment purposes. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those difficult things. And I guess that's kind of like, I mean, not that this is like my preferred uh, world of animation, kind of like Dom hinted at. I'm more of like an anime guy. definitely love Studio Ghibli and all that. But I mean, I, I appreciate like, the, especially this film, how visually stunning it was. I mean, to me, that sort of was like, it forgave a lot of, like you said, like some of the uh, allowances that we saw in that third act. Some of the sort of like happenstances that, that maybe, you know, were a little too coincidental to uh, push this forward so I think with that being said why why don't we have Dom give us a little synopsis of Onward and why don't we just like get in there and dissect this movie now you guys cool with that absolutely let's get into it all right yeah so the basic premise of this movie is simple enough so it's a world where fantasy creatures such as elves goblins fairies centaurs etc have been domesticated by the emphasis on technology over traditional magic over the last couple of hundreds of years and in this world two elf brothers embark on a quest to bring their dad back as on the day of younger Lightfoot brother Ian's portrayed by Tom Holland's 16th birthday that he and his older millennial stereotype brother Barley, portrayed by Chris Pratt, are given a token of memorabilia left over from their father, which is a wizarding staff complete with a phoenix gem, as their dad was still a devout student of magic despite its growing irrelevance in the current climate. However, during this, while performing the spell, Ian messes up, only bringing, succeeding in bringing back their dad's lower half, so just a pair of legs with like a, a missing top half, and destroys the phoenix gem in the process, which only gives them 24 hours to go on a magical road qu- road quest, road trip, which at what, what, what have you, in order to find the, another gem to a complete quest. the spell and spend the day with their dad before he disappears forever. Yeah, I mean, that was the movie. And so with, with that being said, like, I'm a huge D&D guy. And I, I mean, I have like an active campaign going right now, Colin. We play Dungeons and Dragons bi-weekly. Uh, we just started up again. I've done it for like three years. So for me, I mean, I think I can forgive sort of a lot of the things that maybe, and I'm curious to see if, if you feel the same way sort of as to like what Dom was sort of saying when we were driving home from the theaters together the other night. Because for me, like a lot of the stuff that they did to forgive it happens all the time in Dungeons and Dragons. And with the magic and the levels, like I hope you guys know, like, those were accurate spells and accurate levels that you get those spells in a D&D campaign. So that is like you said earlier, you know, like, it, yes, it, it, Pixar doesn't just make movies for children. The angle obviously is very kiddie, but there's a layer for like, you know, I'm like pretty much barley, man. I mean, except for the fact that I like to think I'm a little more put together in real life, but I play board games on the weekends. I'm not going out to bars, you know, like I'm, I'm role playing and I'm super invested in all that. So for me, I think that this film worked in the sense that Zootopia worked. And I know that's not a Pixar film, but this is the only Pixar film that I can remember that I've seen rather in recent memory that kind of has like that double layer. And that's why personally, I'm just going to come out and say it. I really like this film quite a bit. And, and, and so like... 
I got to ask you guys now, like, did you think that if you were maybe more immersed and, and maybe like, uh, well, well read on like how, like, cause dude, these D and D campaigns, the tropes are just, th- that's how they go. Like people walk into a bar, they order drinks, you end up getting in a bar fight, you get sent somewhere. The, the easy path in D and D books is always fucking blocked off. So you always have to take the long road. I mean, that's just how they're written and it's, it's fun, you know, it's cheeky. And so like, do, do you guys think, did that annoy you guys as people who aren't like super nerdy in regards to that? Or was is that okay like is that sort of your problems with the film because i'm just trying to understand like where you guys both said you had like conflicting issues with it yeah so my whole thing with it if if i'm gonna go first is again the, the whole dungeons and dragons thing i'm not a dungeon I, I look at it kind of the same way as i do when i get like a video game adaptation or really a book adaptation specifically for one that i haven't read because obviously if it's if it's one that i have read obviously i have it's usually one that i like and i have a lot of personal conflicting feelings to go into it but at least in terms of the dungeon dungeons and dragons aspect that's not what bothered me i actually didn't mind that at all if anything my problems with the movie are actually kind of how it almost didn't lean into them enough in a way but again that that goes to like a completely different problem that i had my personal problem again this this was a situation where i thought this was a very light film it was a fun film colin you you mentioned the good dinosaur before to me this is almost kind of akin to something like that not quite to one of their sequels but it's definitely something that's a lighter fluffier affair than kind of like what Pixar is known for, which is the really hard-hitting, like, deep, soul-crushing, emotional stuff. Like, it's kind of more to the re- resemblance of, like, a Cars, if we're going for, like, the, the original 2000s run, which people consider as, like, that's, like, the prime of Pixar's run. And I don't mind that. That's fine. My problem with the movie comes from the fact that it almost kind of doesn't really know what it's trying to be. It's funny because I actually I had this similar problem with Coco, which is where Coco to me felt like a Disney movie made by Pixar, and that's fine. But that but the a Disney movie is a Disney movie, and a Pixar movie is a Pixar movie, and that conflicting sense of tone it kind of takes away from all the moments where the film should be hitting special. You know, the comedy doesn't work for me necessarily all the time. The music it it, it constantly feels like that movie's going for a specific tone, but that it veers left into just general kitty animation nonsense. And again, in a normal animated film, I'm fine with that. But again, this is Pixar, and we've come to expect a level of quality from them that, to me, is not measured up to by a lot of other things. So, with that being said, that that's kind of like my overall general problems with it. Colin, would you say that those were those were similar to some of the grievances that you had with it? Not exactly. It's actually kind of funny, Chris, when you mentioned uh, D&D. Uh, the first thing I thought of was the guys that did Game of Thrones. <laughs> I did, so I'm so I'm not into the the whole nerdy the uh, Dungeons and Dragons thing like you were saying. So I didn't even really pick. I the, like when I watched the film, I, the first thing I'm not I, the first thing I thought about was not that uh, the the references or things that I'm not even sure if that's what they were going for. If they were great, if they weren't also great, I didn't really care. But uh, as for as far as uh, the your, your, uh, you saying. Dom, that uh, you don't think they it, they knew what it, their identity was in the film. I didn't really see that as much of a problem. I kind of took it for what it was as far as I kind of went away from some of the uh, mystical aspects and kind of really looked at it as kind of a brother's film. And I have a younger brother, so I was kind of able to rate, uh, relate to that. I kind of just latched on to that aspect of the film and kind of the road trip stuff. And I thought the mystical i guess dungeons and dragons aspect of it which is kind of a part of the the gloss and the gimmick of the movie that kind of just made it a little bit more interesting 
but I looked at it more of a as a family brother road trip story. That that makes perfect sense, and that to me was again a very large part of what I liked about this movie. Where I knew going in that I'm like, okay, if if this movie delivers on what it should be first and foremost, which is again the relationship between the two brothers and kind of their individual connections to their dad and their own kind of like personal motivations as to why they're embarking on this quest and why they want to bring back their dad so badly. The, the movie, I definitely think, had a strong idea for what it was going for. And I think that for the most part, it delivered. It's just my whole thing was, I feel like kind of... And bear with me here, because again, this is going to sound like complete, coming completely out of left field. But this is a, a criticism that I heard, and I wasn't necessarily sure how to think about it until I actually watched the movie. And just kind of like with the way it's animated, with the kind of tone that it's trying to emulate, trying to hate those emotional beats, it almost kind of feels more like a DreamWorks movie, if that makes any sense, where DreamWorks was what made them well-known, was kind of pursuing kind of more of a deconstructive angle of those familiar tropes, as opposed to kind of constructing this world and just kind of going deep into it. Now, if this is a new direction that Pixar is choosing to go with, then I'm fine with that, and that's all good. I just feel like, again, for a first outing, Again, again, the movie just, it's a kind of like a thing where it's like, okay, so they have these jokes about these pixies, right? And that's all fine and good, but it just leads into like a long chase. Like, it's almost like kind of like the movie is constantly stopping in order to like throw all these quick jokes at you and then just move you on to the next thing without actually pausing to stop and kind of explore what makes that joke funny, if that makes any sense. So, so mm-hmm. real quick, I got a question for you then, Dom. How, yeah. So, you know, with like A24, independent filmmakers will go to them and be like, hey, here's my idea. Can you guys fund this? Will you help us make this? But with Pixar, is it all in-house? Like, is it the same the kind part, of yeah. creative staff that was on? Yeah, yeah. It, yes. it's, it's oh, a lot okay. Of the same people. Okay. I yeah, didn't realize that. A lot of the that. same yes. people are writing the scripts. A lot of the same people are directing. Uh, it's like one of those things where you're, you kind of grow within the company. Like, if you're a director there, then you were once, like, the intern giving coffees kind of like thing. Like, it, they really, like... It, you move from the ground up at, at Pixar, I, from what I've heard. Yeah, and the, is that is that true to to most animated studios, or is that uh, sort of how? I don't know Pic- specifically. I would have to do my research, but I know okay. specifically with Pixar that is very, very much the case. Because like, like I, I'm very familiar with a lot of the Pixar directors. I've known that like they direct like multiple ones. Like just to give you an example, Pete Doctor, that's the director that your your favorite Pixar movie, at least when we talked about Monsters Inc., also directed Up and Inside Out. Um, John, oh, okay. Yeah, John Lasseter, who directed the first two Toy Stories and then famously left the company over allegations against him, also directed A Bug's Life and the first Cars. Andrew Stanton is the director of the Finding Nemo and Finding Dory, as well as Wally. Brad Bird did both Incredibles movies and Ratatouille. Ratatouille. And uh, yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned that because this is actually an, another returning director because the director who did this movie, his name is Dan Scanlon, directed Monsters University, which yeah, was the was prequel to, to Monsters Inc. Yeah. Wow, okay, yeah. that's that's super crazy. I had no idea that it was run like that. So then, okay, so then now I kind of, since you guys are super like Pixar buffs, maybe I can sort of see a little bit where you guys are coming from then in regards to like the, the tonal shift being slightly different. At least that's kind of what I'm getting off of your little back well, and forth there. For, well, he mentioned the DreamWorks, uh, uh, Dom mentioned the DreamWorks thing. And for me, I got that from the trailers, the dream, a DreamWorks vibe, but not from the actual movie. I think uh, I get more DreamWorks vibe from Brave. That's the one where I'm like, that feels like a, a like a Disney or like a and not and by Disney I mean like Frozen or like just like one of their musical animated films or like a DreamWorks vibe from Brave. But from here, actually watching the film, it felt it still felt like Pixar to me. Okay, yeah, um, it's funny that you mentioned that actually because with me with Brave. 
My big problem and why that's my personal least favorite Pixar movie is because that movie kind of was trying to do a Disney Pixar angle, but to me, from like the least personable, relatable characteristic yet, where it's almost kind of trying to go against what makes those Disney princesses relatable and enjoyable to watch in a way, and almost kind of takes the a step back and like, because to me, like the, the lead character is the least Mem is the least relatable part about that not the least relatable part the least enjoyable part i should say about that movie you know it's funny you said that because that's exactly how i felt about onward so i would like to just jump in and sort of like kind of like dissect because you had brought up earlier like the cast colin and and you said you liked both chris pratt and tom holland and and personally i kind of felt that like tom holland anyone really could have played that character i don't think he brought something special to the table in regards to, the, to this performance now on the other hand I do think that you couldn't have had Barley without Chris Pratt I think that those two have become synonymous and so I'm sort of curious as to what you guys felt about that because I think that like you said this is obviously a movie about brothers on a road trip sort of finding out how much and they know it but really solidifying how much they actually mean to each other because the father is sort of the catalyst to them realizing like I don't I guess, you know, some people have dads, but that's okay because I have you and you have me. And that's something that most other people don't have in this way. And so I thought that was really beautiful. And I think like the writing sort of saved Tom Holland's performance because again, I was I was very on board with this film. Uh, and, and not to say earlier that like the D&D tropes sort of allow me to forgive because I do have problems with like the third act and I'm sure we'll get into that. But it was pretty true to form if you are a D&D player, if you come from that role-playing world. But that's neither here nor there. Really, I, I did feel though that as as well crafted as this world was and and as immer cuz i was immer the immersion was right there like i loved the way it looked i loved the the modern aspect with like the old magic and and yesteryear type stuff but i just i always felt that like when you know tom holland's character was sort of like having a little too much screen time i was like what time is it how much more how much more time is left <laughs> in this movie so i don't know how'd you guys feel about like the cast overall and sort of like their dynamic well i'll i'll, I'll just jump in uh, actually my biggest gripe with the uh, cast and I don't know if it's so much her performance, but it might have been the character was Octavia Spencer's uh, character. I, I don't know if you guys can fact check this for me. I can't remember the character's name. She uh, was like the, the Manticore. Yeah, the Manticore. Her character really annoyed me. And I, I think what Octavia Spencer was told to do, she did well. Uh, the performance she was told to give, she gave well. But I just think the character as a whole bothered me. As far as, uh, so that was kind of my biggest gripe as far as we're, if we're talking about characters slash cast or if they go kind of hand in hand. But um, Tom Holland, I don't know. I, I guess I can see what you're saying as far as anybody could play the role. But also Tom Holland, kind of anybody can play what he always plays, really. Um, he, he uh, Not anybody, but like anybody that's his age and that looks like him. Kind of, you know, that like 20-something up-and-coming like kind of like that uh yeah. that type dom he said can, the same exact shit so that like, was you like hear something deja really vu funny. for yeah. me man now, so I, you guys I must be on the same said, wavelength or something Colin, I sh <laughs> i'm not kidding i literally said the exact same thing coming real, home which is that. i'm like but it's not just that he's typecast in these parts and he doesn't really add anything to them it's the fact of out of all kind of though that those actors kind of in that age range that have popped up that have gotten those types of parts you know your nat wolves your timothy chalamet i know he's a couple years older but miles teller like each and every single one yeah, of those guys. I, the Miles like the Teller, I almost, yeah, I yeah. almost said Miles Teller. Yeah, it's funny because, about. like, it, you guys are on that same yeah, to, wavelength. <laughs> to me, each and every single one of those guys adds something, like, like, a little bit extra 
Hofstra to kind of set themselves apart. You know, Miles Teller usually always plays like the cocky asshole. You know, Ansel Elgort is usually kind of like the more subdued, withdrawn one. Timothy Chalamet is always like just the major, like just heartthrob, you know? Nat Wolf is kind of like more like the grungy one, you know? But He's probably Tom, the most. Yeah, but but Tom Holland and everything that I've seen, like the, the, the parts that he gets, I enjoy. Like I haven't seen him really in a part that I have straight up disliked, but it's also a thing where, yeah, he really doesn't add anything of his own to any of these parts. Yeah, I think, well, this is off topic, but that's why I'm kind of interested to see how he'll play Nathan Drake in the um, Uncharted film, because that does not seem like a role for him at, at all. But as far as Onward goes and his performance, I thought it was just a, a fairly uh, safe choice, but I think it was also the right choice. Uh, it was a fairly conservative choice, but at the same time, uh, would I have want anybody else to play the role? I mean, it depends, I guess. I, it, it really, uh, I thought his performance was... It felt like very Tom Hollandy, and I like Tom Holland, so I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have too much gripes with it. I guess for me, um, I don't know how much you've you know did your research on the show or whatnot, but I'm usually not the biggest fan of Marvel, and uh, especially this incarnation of Spider-Man we have right now is by far my least favorite. So maybe I have some issues to work out personally with Tom Holland, but uh, you know I, they did play the conservative game, and I think really though, like the the, the this film might have gone down as not only maybe one of my favorite films of the year, granted it's still very early in the year here, but maybe of all time if if they hadn't, because me being such like a fantasy-driven, like lore-reading, kind of like role-playing player in real life... I was instantly hooked, and I, I just, I don't know, he kind of, it didn't really seem like he, he got the feel of the world he was supposed to be in, And but one thing I can say is, uh, I just, I wanted to make this joke at one point in the uh, podcast, because I was driving over here tonight, and I was like, well, so they someone tried to do this sort of approach not too long ago, 2017, I think, with Netflix is bright, and yeah. and this movie, yeah. this movie by far knocks that one out of the park. So I guess I don't hate Tom Holland too much because I've been dying for this sort of setting, and so this this was I really enjoyed it. But you know, with that being said, I just think this I want this film to be. I want this film to have a good run this year because I really liked it. So it's just a little unfortunate that Tom Holland kind of, like you said, was more of the conservative performance. I, I would have really liked a little more of that. But Dom, what do you what do you think about all this? What's your uh, weighing on this uh, argument here? My whole take, well, first off, Colin, what you said about the Uncharted movie, I mean, if, if somehow if that movie ever actually gets released, like that's a whole different conversation yeah, in yeah. and of we itself can, you know, because with the disaster that movie going next, forward yeah. through, Mark Wahlberg getting cast as Sully when he was such the ideal choice to play Nathan Drake. Again, that, that's a discussion for another day. But again, what kind of the casting choices if we're talking about that specifically again it's another i actually i mentioned this in my review that i wrote that will be published soon on fantasticfilmfans.com not at all and a subtle unsubtle plug which is that <laughs> okay. yeah which is that the casting it's fine but again it just feels like another situation where yeah just come to the just come see another pixar movie in order to see like your two favorite marvel stars you know like it's like the minute you see yeah, from, yeah. from the minute the first announcement comes out from d23 it's like yeah star come see star lord and spider-man in a pixar movie how much yeah, did you love them in felt, infinity it, War? it felt kind of like uh like duh you know yeah. like it's like it's like when they said taika watiti's gonna direct a star wars movie it's like well yeah, yeah I mean, he's already working with disney He's well-liked by everyone, and Chris Pratt and Tom Holland are well-liked. They have already worked with Disney, and here's another project that comes within their conglomerate of a company, and we need two 20-something, one 20-something, one 30-something to play uh, brothers in a Pixar film, 
think Chris Pratt and Tom Holland would be on the top of everyone's list. Yeah, most definitely. And it's funny that you mentioned that because it, it just comes from a situation of where, like, I read a similar situation where, obviously, we heard all this behind-the-scenes stories of Tom Holland going on and on about how Chris Pratt kept making him ruin takes because of how much he was making him laugh behind the scenes when they were filming Infinity War. But it reminds me of a similar situation where the inception of the movie Rocket Man, you know, the Elton John musical biopic that came out last year, was where the only reason why that movie even exists is apparently because... Not because of Bohemian Rhapsody, apparently, like we thought that obviously had a big part in it with how successful that movie was, but also because Elton John just had so much fun working with Taron Egerton on like the three days that they worked together on the second Kingsman movie. You know, it's like, it's like, wow, wow, that's the stuff that dictates like the type of creative stories that happen now, especially now, especially now since it's all under the Disney banner, because that was 20th Century Fox last year and now famously, which is incorporated under the Disney banner now. Yeah, you know, that... I guess that's like kind of, but you know, I think that's okay though. To be honest with you, I'm not like, because if they have a good chemistry, then they should work together more often. I just think that maybe in this situation, it might've been a little forced because, uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I'm beating a dead horse at this point, but I, I just felt that Chris Pratt brought it and, and Tom Holland sort of yeah, was I'll, like, I'll oh, that's how you act. I'll like definitely, watching him I'll definitely give were. you that, which is the sense of where obviously out of the two, Chris Pratt, it's, it's like you said in the car ride last night, Chris Pratt is the star of this movie. Like no question. Like it's kind of, I feel like part of, of my worry about Chris Pratt over the last couple of years was that he was kind of going to get he kind of couldn't figure out what he wanted to do kind of with his career like obviously when he first started out with the first Guardians of the Galaxy in the Lego movie turning him from Parks and Rec supporting character to bona fide superstar within the course of a year yeah, like overnight seemingly. yeah pretty much and then and then he gets cast in Jurassic World after that you know he's getting touted as like oh he could this guy could play the next I Indiana remember Jones. when people were like he could be the next Harrison Ford literally, literally yeah, around. yeah pretty so. much yeah and so he kind of so it was kind of those personal years and then he had that movie passed Passengers that came out in 2016 with Jennifer Lawrence that, again, kind of, it, 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 that's not a bad movie, I don't think, but let's just say that movie creatively did not go at all in the direction that it, it was presented as. And I, I like that with this movie, this movie kind of solidifies exactly where he has found his groove, which is where, not quite an action hero, but he's just kind of this goofy, lovable guy that no matter what you see him in, he's always going to have a ton of energy that he brings to every single role. And again, it's like you were saying, he is the life and soul of this movie. Like you were watching it for him. Probably some of the funniest, most heartfelt moments come from him. And he, in the moments to me where you would need to get those really heartfelt moments, whether it comes to the to his younger brother or whether it comes to his dad, I feel like he's the one that's carrying you through everything. Well, I was gonna, first, I was going to say, yeah, I think Chris Pratt gave a better performance, but I think also the very nature of his character is just more energetic than what Tom Holland was asked to do, which was more quiet and shy. So it's kind of hard to kind of notice the performance as much, especially one being that's an animated film, and two, when he's supposed to be a little bit more subdued and quiet and the, the character that just he was in the film whereas uh, Chris Pratt's character was much more energetic and lively and stuff and I will say when you uh, you mentioned uh, Dom about him being super just lively and stuff in the film I, I love that's probably my favorite aspect of the film is I loved how much he like supported his brother because he can do magic and in and, and even though he's not all uh, into it he could do magic but then the older brother, I'm forgetting the name, it's Barley. Yeah, Barley yeah, is the older brother, and yeah, Ian's yeah. the younger one. Yeah, Ian could do magic, but he wasn't into it, and Barley wasn't jealous at all. I just love like, how pumped and like stoked he was for his brother, and I, I think one Chris Pratt's performance really exuberated that, but also it, it made the um, performance really well, and then it, it made uh, 
the overall experience really enjoyable. Yeah, you know, so I'm actually really glad you went there because this is something that I kind of was, I have been looking forward to picking you and Dom's brains about because I'm not going to, you know, I'm never shy about like my my filmography or my film knowledge here. Pixar is something that I I honestly have seen quite a bit of, but I I can't say that I I like, you know, it's like if I don't work out to Pixar, like I'm not like staying in shape on my mental wheelhouse of Pixar. I'll see it when they come out. I'll do it for the podcast. I really enjoyed this film, but you know, my, my depth of presence on it is not as great as you and Dom. So I'm curious because I was a little, you know, I got choked up at the end of this film. All right, guys, I'm not going to lie to you right now. I was like, wow, that was, I thought they explored the dynamic of brothers very, very intelligently and, and very interestingly. So, you know, we see this a lot in these sort of children's animation films where they have those pull on your heartstrings moments and, and especially in Pixar. So how did you guys feel that this fared in comparison to some of like the classic Pixar films? Was this just, uh, you know, another walk in the park or, or was it, was it really something notable? What, what do you guys think about that? As I think it, like I said, not Pixar's best overall, but like I said, I am a older brother, so I just I really resonated with the uh, relationship and the kind of the tug on your heartstring moments that this film gave you, and I think that was definitely its strongest aspect. I just loved, absolutely loved the relationship, and I think that you have to credit the cast working together, but also how well uh, and uncliche their relationship was, because like I said. Earlier, I loved how supportive uh, Barley was of Ian throughout the entire film, not really getting jealous that, you know, he that Ian's got magical powers and he and he doesn't or anything like that. And that was something that just uh, was just heartwarming to me. I think that was definitely the best aspect of the entire film is the brother aspect being that I, I, I have a brother who's, you know, close to my age and stuff. And and uh, and we don't see that too much in film or like an animated film. So I really enjoyed that aspect. Yeah, it's a first for Pixar for me, like, kind of taking it from that aspect. Like, Pixar has largely, to me, been about, like, kind of exploring larger adult themes within the forms of, like, non-humanistic characters. And it's kind of entering into, like, this new wave kind of that you see now that they're, like, really fully known for being Disney, you know? Because, like, Disney, that, here, here's a fun fact. They weren't actually officially owned by Disney until 2006. The first Cars film was the first Pixar film that was released under the Disney banner officially and not just a collaboration between the two. And I feel like the only other Pixar film... Like, there's been a, a lot of Pixar films that where you've seen, like, the family dynamic. You know, the father-son, di- kind of the single dad, lone son dynamic in Finding Nemo. Just the overall, like, the typical suburban family dynamic in The Incredibles. Um, so you've seen that dynamic before. But in terms of, like, really fleshing out and having this be, like, about the relationship between brothers, this is a new area that for pick that Pixar has covered. And I, have, and I really, really did enjoy what they did. I just wish to me that the script had been strong enough to kind of back it up. Because what this felt like to me was a situation where kind of the star power of the stars and the ultimate chemistry that they have is supported to be a very I'm not gonna say weak but kind of kind of a lackluster script if you will I wouldn't say weak but I think I was very in love with it in the moment, and I think as now it's been a few days since we've watched it, yes, I'm seeing more and more of that pop up. One thing that I can be thankful for about this film, for me personally, right, like I said, I, I wasn't, I'm, I'm going to go back now, and I'm going to honestly, like, watch up, and I'm going to, I'm going to even rewatch Inside Out. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get, this makes me want to dive in. So for me, this film mm-hmm. worked in the mm-hmm. sense that, like, yeah. it, I got an emotional rise, but I guess, yeah, you know, that was, that, to me, that's interesting because, like, 
I want to be where you guys are at with Pixar now watching this film. So it's cool to kind of see. I hope I feel that way too because you guys clearly, you know, you studied this shit. You know what I mean? You guys know what you're, what you're, what you're getting into when you watch a Pixar film. So, so that's funny to see the contrast there. And why do you think that is that like this was the film that made me want to sort of like dive in? Do, do, you, do you feel that like I'll, I'll sort of get to where you guys are and, and where I'll be like sort of like, you know, and maybe like most new watchers, if this is their first exposure to Pixar, do you think as they go back, maybe they'll sort of knock this one down to like the middle of like a, a rankings list? Or? I mean, I, I can tell you right now why it is. It's because you you're rather than just kind of reviewing and just seeing like, oh, it's this is a fun animated kitty movie. You're finally like in the moment, like as a critic being like, okay, I got to analytically break this down because I know I got to do it for a podcast. So I can tell you automatically right now, that's why kind of this movie is having that, that effect on you right now in this moment and making you want to go back to, and, and rewatch all of them. But yeah, you're just going to find that to me, like the magic of Pixar is that again, it's very similar to what you were saying before, Colin, which is where to me when Pixar is at its best. It generates a world that you could just get into and just go along with, regardless of how outlandish it seems. It has characters that, no matter in what form, cars, monsters, emotions, toys, you know, superheroes, whatever, rats, whatever, the character, robots, whatever, <laughs> literally whatever, you can relate to them in some aspect because they are just so like well thought out, so creatively, like so so much creative output put into them. Like, and to me, it's the best stories are the ones that. Besides just being emotionally hard hitting, are the ones that are are emotionally hard hitting and have a good enough story with themes to kind of back it up and help it resonate. Like, there's a reason why so many people who grew up with Pixar still go back and rewatch. Like, there's a reason why I can go back and I can rewatch the first Toy Story with my niece who is about to be two years old and still say, "Wow, this is a perfect movie," and still just get that same rush of emotions that I got from the first time I saw that movie when I was about five years old. What, um, what's it called? I, I was two years after when that movie came out. That movie was 95. I was born in 97. But like when I watched that in this and Toy Story 2, I was like, wow, these are like amazing, amazing movies. Okay, so yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm not really sure if this is exactly what I would call a gateway film, at least uh, not initially when I, when it, you know, watching the trailer and then even watching the movie. But knowing that, you know, you're, you're mentioning that you want to go back and watch an Inside Out or Up or anything like that because of this film. That's one, really encouraging. And two, it kind of changed my mind that maybe there's people that aren't maybe in uh, into this uh, Pixar universe is, you know, uh, some others people are. But um, I wasn't sure if Onward was the film to do so, but I think kind of the appeal, like the, the this kind of newer generation of, one younger kids and then people just kind of getting into the franchise because it's their job. You know, they talk about movies and stuff. Um, the, you know, with the cast and the familiarity behind that and everything with familiar stars like Chris Pratt and Tom Holland and, you know, and, and even the film too kind of like had some pretty modern takes of obviously it's like we're in a mystical world, but the whole idea was that they modernized and they're not like going back to the old roots and that's what we're experiencing now. Like we we did things a different way way back in the day, and now everyone's on their cell phones and everything's heavily convenient convenient today. So we go away from the things that we were, you know, this society was built on. And so people are going to be able to watch th that now and relate to it and be like, oh, I like this. What more work does this franchise have? Oh, they did P T Toy Story as well. Oh, okay. Well, I never saw Inside Out because Inside Out just doesn't have the IP that Toy Story does. They're going to watch more of these other films and then get a huge kick out of them. So, yeah, I can see why people would, you know, uh, get connected 
to this franchise because of this movie alone. Yeah, that's one of the things I think they did so well, too, was sort of like tackle that that feeling of like you know dependency on technology as well that's something like in my music i write a lot about like like when i write about love usually it comes from the angle of like is that really a thing that exists anymore we just you know go on tinder or we just go on facebook and message someone and we talk for days before even getting that face-to-face in person which is so important and so for me like seeing these issues be tackled in this film that you guys are saying is like mid-tier not terrible but mid-tier it's got me hooked and it's got me dying to just go home and fucking lie on to Disney Plus and just binge, you know what I'm saying? And I'm actually glad that you brought that up because, again, that actually factors into some of my problems with this, which with it, which is where, yeah, they bring up all that issues. This, to me, is the first Pixar movie that actually does bring that up, where it's like, yeah, sacrificing kind of those original human ideas and concepts that we knew from the old world that kind of made us who we are as people, just sacrificing for constant convenience over convenience with ever-expanding technology. And to me, it feels like a situation of where... The, the magic kind of, of old Pixar, let's say, is you would usually sometimes spend up to 10 to 20 minutes just following the characters through their motions in this world, getting to know them. Versus in this movie, it's kind of more of like a, a typical movie now, which is where I brush over it in like a 10, in like a five, like a two minute opening sequence where we know with montage, with voiceover explaining everything to you. So, and to me, I understand that again, that's kind of what's needed for today's modern audience who are, again, what this movie is saying about who are on their cell phones and just again are looking for a quick thing to watch to distract them from kind of the technology fueled world right now. But to me, I just feel like, again, it's been stuff that I've been saying over and over and over again with the telling over showing, which is that I just feel like there's something lost there where it's like, yeah, it's cool kind of seeing this world and it is a cool world in concept, but like, I want to see them explore it and really get to know it and kind of like, instead of just kind of pausing on a joke and then just moving on to the next thing, just kind of kind of exploring that and finding out and how that's not only integral to the story, but how it's kind of integral to this world and how that makes this world feel special and unique, you know? Yeah, no, that's... Yeah, for sure, man. That okay. That that wow. That's like a, a hot take on that. You know, that's it's one of those <laughs> things where I mean, yeah, maybe it does sort of suffer from like the modern screenplay. It kind of thrusts you right into it. For some reason, Marriage Story comes to mind. Yes, I agree with that one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Marriage and, Story literally does the exact same thing. And I really like that movie. If you go back and check out our, our episode on it, but one of my bigger gripes with that movie was sort of like just like. I wanted a little more. I wanted to get to know the characters a little more before the battle begun for an entire, like, almost two hours. So, yeah, you know, I feel you on that. Colin, what, what do you think about this, man? Um, well, first of all, as far as Marriage Story goes, I love that movie. So, don't critique it at all. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I yeah, absolutely love that film. But, um, Same as here. far as, yeah, p- p- but, yeah, I, you know, these are things that sometimes, I mean, everyone watches a film and has different reactions to it. And then this is where like the discourse and the discussion is really interesting because you you think of things or are discovered of things that you never even didn't come to you when you're watching the film. So that little recap that you're alluding to in the beginning of the film when they kind of showing how that the technology evolved in this like in their universe that they're living in in the film onward didn't come to me again. It sounds weird, but I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like one of those things where it's like it doesn't me not caring doesn't stop it from not existing or and or not annoying other people or it kind of being maybe a lazy uh film trope but because i didn't notice it i guess it just didn't bother me as much if that makes sense no totally man and that's i think the beauty of kind of like the how this podcast has sort of been going there's three completely for the most part different opinions and th- i think that 
in a sense, is sort of like the magic of this medium of filmmaking, like these these children's films that have like this deeper layer where it's not just meant for kids, you know? Like the way that we can interpret this type of film, especially, I mean, this this sort of dynamic hasn't happened on any of our other podcasts, and we're like in the mid-20s right now as far as episodes go. So to me, this is just blowing my mind and further solidifying, whereas like even if this isn't a perfect movie, this is a new medium of a film that I think I'm going to really start to love and sort of bump up on like maybe my go-tos when I'm just sort of like, you know, hanging out on a Friday night or something like that. Now, with that being said, we, we are almost close to running out of time here. So I kind of want to talk about this third act. And I'd love for you guys to sort of like, you know, like, what did you feel about it? I know when we were leaving the theater, Dom sort of said like they kind of forgave a lot of stuff through like cheeky events that happened or, or whatnot, you know, paraphrasing him, of course. And Colin, you sort of alluded to the same thing. So why don't you guys sort of like take us through your thought process and, and how you felt about this third act before we wrap it up here? So the first thing that comes to mind was the conveniences in the third act that kind of bothered me. Um, what the third act did right, and I'll just start off the positive because that's how I do it on my YouTube channel. I start off with what works, so I'll just do it here Hell yeah, because I, I can, that. because I can, because you know freedom of speech. So, um, <laughs> I, I, so the things that I like: one, the action looked great; two, the animation looked fantastic, and it tugged on my heartstrings a lot. I think the ending. You know, being able to see their dad and like, again, I love the selflessness of both the characters. And I think that's come to be expected, especially at the end of a Pixar film. You don't want the the main characters to be selfish. I mean, certainly in the beginning, they might be. But at the end, they it's a kid's movie. Uh, well, you know, it's kids are watching it. So you got to have them uh, learn some sort of lesson if there is a lesson to be learned. And I love the selflessness of their character, wanting them both to see their dad and all that sort of thing and so the action was great they're just I, I i my eyes did get watery as well just kind of seeing their relationship unfold and uh and that whole thing i thought was actually truly beautiful uh, aspect of the film but as they got there as, the, as they kind of got closer and closer to finding the uh the stone i don't know the exact terminology if anyone wants oh, to help phoenix me out there. Gem. the phoenix gem there we go so the phoenix gem as they were going to find that there's a certain part where obviously they're with their dad's legs and they have to go underwater to close like that, like that button. And the button, uh, if you step on it, opens up like a secret passageway so they can get out. And as soon as you take your foot off the button, the thing begins to close, right? So they have their dad sit, uh, stand on it so they can get out. And then they pull their dad back up, and the thing doesn't begin closing at all, even though his foot is off the button. And it was just kind of just like, oh, my God, that was so bad. That was, like, the one thing about the film that annoyed me so much. That that one scene alone, I was like, I know this is a, a animated uh, film that was predominantly children and their parents are watching, but that was that was bad. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I actually... Uh, again, with, with me, like, the third act is where I have a majority of the problems with this movie, but I'm actually glad that you mentioned that. Surprisingly enough, like, all kind of the traps and kind of, like, the Indiana Jones-esque temple that they had to go through in order to ultimately wind up, with, without spoiling anything, right back where they started in order to kind of find the Phoenix Shop. Again, it did feel like a lot of plot contrivances, but the actual structuring of it didn't bother me. What bothered me no, yeah, yeah, yeah. was the actual moment of the payoff, because... Again, do we want to spoil it here or like kind of reveal it? Or do you want to kind of just have me paraphrase it? If you guys want to tune out right now, Dom's about to spoil it. Thank you for listening or just skip like a few seconds ahead. But Dom, go for it because yes. we got to do this justice. Yeah, so the basic premise and how they kind of wrap things up is that 
They they're they're literally about to bring back the, their dad in in the nick of time, right? But it's ultimately the thing where they're kind of getting attacked by this giant stone dragon that is kind of the result of them springing the phoenix gem. And in order to kind of and, and because earlier in the movie, Tom Holland had Ian had this revelation that like oh all the things he had this checklist that he made of things that he wanted to do to spend time with his dad, but because of the amount of time that's taken up with their quest, he's not gonna have enough time to do it. So we kind of realizes you know this revelation, this flashback that oh everything that I wanted to do with my dad. I ended up just doing with my brother, you know, and so he kind of sacrifices his own moment to be with his dad so that his brother can have one last moment to say goodbye because the whole thing that's also revealed is that Barley, the Chris Pratt character, his one memory of his dad that he doesn't like is that when their dad was sick in the hospital when he was a little kid, he didn't have the courage to go in and see him when he was sick. He just found it too scary. And so Ian kind of abandons his moment to, to finally meet his dad and see his dad in order to deal with the dragon while Barley has that moment to say goodbye with his dad. And he kind of, there's this moment where at the end he's having to climb through the rubble of what's left of the dragon and he sees Barley hugging the dad before the dad disappears and it's kind of from a bird's eye viewpoint and again I'll admit it's probably a minor grievance but just the whole structuring of that again it felt kind of cheap and it's payoff, it didn't feel to me like a solid payoff of the three arcs that being, again, the, the relationship between the brothers and their respective relationship to their dad. It kind of felt like, oh, how can we structure this that in a way that feels subversive while also kind of fulfilling everything? And it just, it didn't work for me per se. And just also the structuring of that specific moment just felt like, oh, we're keeping it at a bird's eye lens. We're not even going to, at the very least, see Barley get to have his interaction with his dad, who, again, for the most part, has not even been a character. It's just been a pair of walking legs. You don't even get to see the dad as a character, which to me, like, that just felt like, okay, all the other grievances with this movie aside, I'll forget, but, like, that moment in particular, I'm just like, like that, that, that's like the, your crowning moment. That's your chief emotional moment, and it's like, you're just doing a bird's eye lens? Like, what's the point? It just felt confusing. So... F- so this is again like the this is obviously the craziest episode of the podcast we've done and I'm gonna further solidify the point that like this movie really has divided the room and because I I would have been very upset I, I, nay I would have felt cheated from my in- very enjoyable experience up to that point if we had gotten to meet the father because it was so clearly not about that and if they would have given yes, us that it, it would I have agree. just diluted it and I also what what did I love even more and, and Colin you let me know right after this if you felt the same way I loved how little we even got to see of that interaction I loved how we were looking through the rubble of the dragon you know sort of like we were still in that yes. moment because it wasn't it wasn't Ian's moment and I thought it was really beautifully done and 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 so for all the things that you guys touched upon it, I don't need to really dive in that, that the third act sort of like, you know, gave allowances to or forgiveness, whatever word you want to put on it. I thought that that is sort of where they recovered and, and really kind of ended on a very high note. Yeah. So would that be, yeah, with that being said, I get just differences of opinion, I guess, because yeah, for sure. And, and I'll admit, again, like, <laughs> I get that's not what the film is going for. But to me, that's not an issue of like the film's themes and what it's going for. To me, that's just an issue of just like filmmaking in general and like i still yeah. think there's a way to have the dad actually be a character in this and not it's 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 almost like yeah we have this setup and we're just not gonna do it you I know that, I, that, that's what that felt like to me yeah and i think that's the beauty of art and and sort of like you know what what you think is uh one man's trash is another man's treasure so to speak but colin you, you seem like you may have had something to weigh in on that what do you what do you think about how that how that finale of the third act went down well, one thing I'll say that was a flaw to me initially and then actually became a huge positive, which rarely happens when I watch movies, is the disappearance of the dad. And it was kind of hard to connect to their situation of them missing their dad when we didn't really know much about him. And it's just a pair of legs we never 
see their full body or we're not we're not uh, uh exposed to the character as much so it wasn't not very compelling but then you realize this isn't about their their dad it's about the brothers and like i said that was the best part of the entire film so that that whole flaw i re- initially had became completely forgivable right and i kind of i, I had a, a similar feeling in regards to that as well now with that being said colin honestly dude i could talk to you forever about this film um it's been an absolute blast having you on and, and thank you again so much for coming on the podcast and giving us an hour of your time we, we really do appreciate it but before we let you go here we like to sort of go around give like a couple sentences on like our final thoughts and we like to give it a rating you know five stars and we've had crazy star ratings like 2.73 or you know like uh point 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 nine 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 whatever crest, but yeah you you can do that man because we just want to know how this movie made you feel within like the talking tv ranking system so with that being said colin yeah we, we'd love to hear your conclusion and and sort of like what what star number you'd you'd give this film before we uh, we take off here and enjoy the rest of our week. Okay, so just because I'm a, I'm a gentleman, I'll give you my official letterboxed uh, review what I, what I said. So and you know my opinion might be changed actually because of this conversation. But I said Onward might not be the finest Pixar has to offer, but it still manages to be a fun family affair with plenty of laughs, a whimsical adventure, and a touching brother relationship. And I gave it four out of five stars. Then so. I'll probably stick with that uh, take right there. And yeah, that's pretty much my overall feeling of the film. If, if I'm you know, joking aside uh, and not being super professional, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, it. It's a solid entry to the Pixar film. On my tier list, I put it in the B tier. The 12th in the ranking, four to five stars. It could get lower. I don't see it getting higher than that. I think it could go a little lower as I, I watch it, kind of like similar to like The Incredibles 2 or Finding Dory something like that but that's okay it still uh, uh wasn't offensive it was solid entry in the franchise and i enjoyed the film well you know i can see all that man and i'm i'm glad that this this conversation may have sort of impacted your opinion that uh that's good to hear because it certainly has changed mine about the film and it makes me glad that i did not write my letterbox review yet because I, I have to say you know i learned a lot about this film in this conversation but the thing that i think i learned the most is to sort of ease your mind when it comes to certain genre specific style films you know sort of treat them all as the same the same thing like you can you can view like let's just take like a a knives out comes to mind through the same critical lens as onward because at the end of the day it is a screenplay and so there are similarities there and so with that being said why do i say all that because like normally i would get annoyed by like this sort of humor or like these sort of like tropes in this sort of journey because i've seen it so many times but i kind of let that go and I was like, well, what are they going to do within those tropes and within that narrative? And so I thought it was actually really refreshing once I was able to sort of like take myself out of like, am I just going to see something that I've seen again? You know what I mean? And and so with that being said, like, yeah, I thought this was a fun ride. Obviously, it wasn't perfect. But for me... It- animation has always been something that I've, I've had a hard time really getting into this this style at least and so I, I was hooked almost instantly and maybe that's like the D&D role-playing skin that they tossed on it but with that being said I thought it was really great and I'm, I'm with you man I think it's a four out of five and if it's subject to change but as of now on the podcast I'm locking that in for this point in time Dom 
What'd you think of this film, man? Yeah, so again, for to do a quick plug for my review that I will publish on FantasticFilmFans.com, which is also the same rating that I gave it on Letterboxd, kind of to sum it up with a quick spiel. It's a movie to me that accomplishes exactly what it's going for, which is a quick fun ride that families can take their kids to, recognize two of their favorite Marvel stars, laugh quickly at a few jokes that, to me, aren't as fleshed out as they solidly could be, get a few emotional moments at the end, but again, and just enjoy a light, fun affair. In that sense, it works, but as, and as an animated film, this is another standard animated film. It works. It's a step above the rest. But to me, in terms of really cracking what I look for when I go to it in order to get that really fully fleshed out full range of emotions from Pixar. I feel like this film just didn't cut it for me. And that combined with the overall script discrepancies that I found overall, I am unfortunately only able to give this movie three and a half out of five stars. I try to give it as high, uh, each movie an absolutely fair rating, but that to me was what I got out of this. And as for where I have this ranked in my overall Pixar canon, Colin, you said you had it at 12. I believe I have mine ranked at 14, aside from the top 10 Pixar movies, which to me I, I think are pretty standard. I have Bugs Life, the first Cars, and Toy Story 4 above this one. Gotcha. Well, you know what, Dom? Don't apologize, man. That's how you feel. And that's that's totally okay. That's the whole point, I think, of like a freeform conversation as opposed to like doing a Q&A or an interview type thing. And that's why I honestly love this medium of podcasting. And so with that being said, Colin, you know, you do something a little different. You, you don't quite podcast. You you get a little in-depth and you do some longer form videos. But with, with all that being said, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you, what they can expect, what you have planned? You know, just now's your chance to plug it away, my friend. Okay, yeah. So um, you can can just search me on YouTube by name Colin Williams. You can that's spelled C O L I N and then W I L L I A M S. You follow follow me on Twitter at uh, Colin Williams M R and then on Instagram at Colin Williams Reviews and Letterbox at C Williams nine nine one. If you're my first initial take on any film I ever see, ever see like any new release. Uh, Rewatch. I could watch the same uh, movie five times in one month, and you'll get my review every single time. I try and keep it super up to date there. And then, as far as my YouTube channel goes, I do you know uh, weekly movie reviews. I like to. I say I try and do like uh, three videos a week. Um, I do reviews. I do rankings. I do tier list. I um, do a, a series where I say like what I watched in X month. So I recap every single movie I saw in every single in, the, in every single month. Uh, I do that there. Uh, I do collabs with all sorts of other YouTubers, like Justin Watches Movies and Jaren Talks Movies, Austin Burke, who you guys are probably familiar with, because um, he's you know, got like 50,000 subscribers, so he's pretty popular. Uh, so um, big things are going happening over there, and yeah, thanks guys so much for having me on the podcast. It was a ton of fun. Yeah, man, you're, you're, and you're welcome back anytime you want, dude. Uh, it's It's been a pleasure talking to you. Now, Dom. We have some things to plug too, don't we? Absolutely we do. So as you guys know, we are the Talking TV Podcast. You can find us anywhere you can listen to podcasts, that being on Anchor, which is of course is a free distribution service that automatically goes out to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Radio Public, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and a whole bunch of other places, excluding SoundCloud, because you have to pay for SoundCloud, where you listen Fuck to SoundCloud. podcasts overall. <laughs> and in terms of our social media pages... Uh, we, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, of course, on Talkin' TV, no G, just type in T-A-L-K-I-N TV or T-A-L-K-I-N TV podcast, all one word, of course, and as for my personal pages, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, all under my internet name, Movie Nerd Reviews, I always have been, I always will be the Movie Nerd on Movie Nerd Reviews. Chris, where can the good people find you? You know what? I'm, I'm glad you asked, Dom. They can find me over at Christian Ivanko. It's my first and last name. Don't wear it out. 
You know, guys, I do a lot of stuff. I do this podcast, I have another podcast, I make music, and for the sake of wrapping this one up and keeping it clear and concise, I'm super active on my personal pages. Follow me over there. There's always a lot of fun stuff, including a lot of pictures of my puppy, who people seem to like that. So she's she's almost a year and a half now. People and, on uh, the webs love pictures of puppies. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty beautiful phase of her life. So if you want to get to know my my puppy named Honey, well, you can follow me at Christian Ivanko. And, and guys, we can't say it enough, but I'll try my best to say it at least every episode. Thank you so much for being here. Colin, thank you again so much for joining us today. We, we really appreciate it, man. Like when I say this is one of my favorite episodes, I honestly like this is one of my favorite episodes dude well super glad to be a part of it and I'll come uh, on any other episode if you find that I uh, bring value to that episode hell so yeah man I hope I, I hope I delivered so I'm good yeah I'm glad to trust be a part me of you it. absolutely did dude yeah dude we'll be in touch bro and, and we wish you all the best of luck on your YouTube journey and with that being said Colin we sort of like to uh, as, as all journeys have there's a send off and so Dom usually sort of takes the reins here and, and every week does the best damn send off I've heard on any goddamn podcast and I'm not just saying it because it's mine I listen to 23 podcasts every week I'm super into this shit and I listen to them avidly but no one comes close to what Dom is about to tell you Dom how do you want to send this off what do you want to leave the people with this week on Talking TV. In the spirit of Pixar and talking about animated kids movies, I say only to this, to all the kids and all the people out there who love watching movies, watch more fucking movies, people. We out. Woo!